European Public Service Union podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of EPSU Podcast. I'm your host, Bojan Stanislavski, and in this edition, our special guest is Dr. Vera Wegman. Uh, she works as uh, one of the main researchers for PSIRU, which stands for Public Services International Research Unit, PSIRU, at the University of Greenwich. Her research focuses on public services, specifically privatization, remunicipalization, renationalization, public sector financing, and public sector reforms. While her research spans a wide range of public services worldwide, she has concentrated on waste management and the circular economy energy policy and the just transition and public transit. So we're going to uh, talk about many uh, interesting topics around waste uh, today. But first of all, uh, Dr. Vera Wagman, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, taking time to be with us today. Thank you. It's really good to be here. All right, great. So let's dive straight in. Uh, Vera, I would like to uh, perhaps uh, have you begin by explaining uh, explaining some some details about uh, the ownership of waste, if I could put it that way, because I I suppose not many people realize that some of the waste uh, is is actually public, municipal. Uh, some of the waste is private, belongs to private players, and uh, some of it is in well, what is referred to the informal economy. The latter mostly in Eastern Europe. Uh, region where I reside uh, and and where I come from, so it's particularly interesting for me and I believe for uh, listeners and w- and viewers from our region. So could you could you elaborate on that? What what is uh, what is the situation? Uh, can you map it out generally for us here? Sure. I mean that's a big question. I, first, of course, we need to think about what do we actually mean by waste? Um, right. You know, and what aspect of of waste management so um generally you know what happens with the with the stuff we are we are throwing away you know uh, we need to know that uh, of course there's often people think when they think of waste they think of their own household waste the municipal waste you know and that is important of course however in europe like municipal waste is only eight percent of um, the entire waste generated in in europe um, so we need to bear this in mind that if we talk about waste reduction on an individual household level, that this is only really scratching the surface because most of the waste is coming from construction and mining um, industry. Industry in general, right? Yeah, industry, exactly. And of course, production is going down in Europe, therefore also the waste is going down. However, what we do see where waste is going up is um waste from waste which sounds first a bit funny but it's uh, basically the waste which comes from recycling but also the so the other bits which can't be recycled and also from burning energy um mm-hmm. uh, sorry burning waste in order sometimes in order to produce energy so i guess best as we can look at what happens to the waste so in and and how private um, ownership and public ownership plays a role in Europe. Um, So one thing, uh, of course, in Europe, we have the waste hierarchy for people who haven't heard about it, is that um, this is basically the the fundamental aspect on which, like all European policies are based on this waste hierarchy. And, well, it it has nice ambitions. And first and foremost, the, 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 top priority uh, of the hierarchy is 
the prevention of waste. So uh, it's to produce as little waste as possible, right? Exactly. So like, you know, ideally we don't want much waste. So, you know, less packaging, uh, the more we share, for example, um, the less um, uh, waste that there is. Uh, if we have eco design, that products are already uh, designed in a way that um, they can be then more easily, um, like that they're more recyclable. That's all like a waste prevention, but also most importantly, consume less because if we consume less, you know, there, mm -hmm. there will be less waste. However, by um, waste prevention, no profit can be ma made, obviously, because you cannot make profits out of something you don't have. So um, there is not so much of a policy focus in Europe, unfortunately. Um, the focus instead is on something we call the circular economy. So the circular economy is the idea that um, it's basically green, green, green growth, green capitalist model. The idea is that, well, if we want to keep up our, our consumption as it is at the moment, we cannot afford to just keep on extracting new resources and then, you know, produce products out of them, consume and then throw a lot away. We need to instead have a circular model where waste becomes a resource not something you want to get rid of but race in itself is a resource a resource like raw material i mean for further production yeah exactly a, a resource out of which new uh, products can be designed um so that's the whole idea um and this is where there's more focus so there's more focus um even though the circular economy in theory is based on the waste hierarchy there's more fo focus um in europe on recycling and very importantly, talking about ownership, um, waste incineration, especially waste to energy. Waste to energy is um, the burning of waste out of which then energy can be created. So if we think about ownership, we have to think about the entire waste management landscape, if you wish, mm -hmm. um, in Europe, uh, because it's obviously all one thing is connected with another. If we think about what happens with the waste, um, obviously we uh, want or we think a lot of it is recycled. However, a lot in, in Europe, actually a lot is, um, well, is burned instead of mm -hmm. recycled. So because this comes... Could but that's all over Europe or, or that's just in particular parts of Europe? I mean, that's that's what we know as, as like receivers of news, uh, so to say that, you know, I mean, the West, the Nordic countries, they are so advanced in their recycling technology and so on and so forth, that it's mostly Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, like, I don't know, Portugal, Spain, for example, that are actually uh, behind, you know, this development. So uh, could, could you specify just like territorially, so to say? Yeah, sure. So um, if we let's just first talk about, um, you know, the, the countries which are supposedly doing it so well. So, so um, Germany um, uh, is, um, you know, leading in terms of recycling in Europe and with municipal waste, it's around 70 percent. So it's one of the highest rates in, in, in Europe. Um, however, if you then look, for example, um, at packaging waste, Mm -hmm. you know just like the plastic waste packaging um less than what we actually put in our recycling like less than half of what we put in our recycling bins in germany will actually be recycled the most of it will be burnt and why is that um 
well, has, it has many, many reasons, but um, one, one reason is, um, of course, how waste is separate and what do we do with it? So the waste incineration industry, and that's key to remember, is very big in Europe, very big. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and, there's a big lobbyist of people who want to burn waste. Yeah, it's called waste to energy. And of course, if we have to, um, you know, we, you could say, yeah, well, not all waste can be recycled. So, of course, therefore, some of the waste needs to be burned otherwise. A key aspect, for example, um, the average end-life recycling of, of plastic is 14%, 14, one four, you know? So it's actually not as high as we think, even though we think think about all and and even like i just said even uh, so supposedly nations would have really well in recycling like germany you know there is is a huge gap on what is actually collected and what is actually recycled and this the statistics tell us the recycling waste which is collected but not the waste with uh, not the recycling which is actually reused Mm-hmm. So the statistics are measured, you know. Therefore, we, there is a huge gap in, in what is actually happening. Some of the recyclable waste, which ends up recyclable in the bins, then is incinerated. That is, and that is quite dangerous, and because in um, Europe as a whole, um, we uh, a lot of the waste which is recyclable is then burned, and that is because a huge um, incinerators they're big plants they cost a lot of money to build um, and uh, they can only function if they have a certain capacity of waste they need like a minim- minimum quantity of waste otherwise they, them, don't, right. uh, uh, right. they don't function and also of course if you have your energy supply dependent on that it, it means you as a nation you become dependent on waste so let's take two examples sweden and denmark sweden mm-hmm. Um, both of uh, both of these countries, Sweden and Denmark, have um, a big uh, waste incineration, waste to energy industry, and or already for some time. And both of these countries, Sweden and Denmark, became very heavily import dependent, which means because they don't have enough waste themselves. Um, also, for example, because they did well in waste prevention um, mechanisms, um, they need to import waste both of them over a million tons annually in order to feed these incinerators. Um, So Denmark now decided, well, actually, it's not so good that we have to keep on importing waste in order to then feed the incinerators. One should also add that waste incinerators are like very polluting. So Mm -hmm. they create a lot of pollution. So obviously, you know, ideally you don't want that in your country. So in, in Denmark, the, the um, incinerators, incinerators, the waste to energy incinerators, are mostly publicly owned, mostly owned by municipalities. So Denmark was able to make this decision, okay, in the, in the next few years, we're going to phase out some of these incinerators. We're going to close some of these plants because we don't want to be so export dependent. We want to increase recycling. And actually, waste incineration is a barrier to a recycling because lots of the recycled waste actually ends up in the incinerator. Sweden, on the other hand, has a more privatized um, uh, industry in waste, waste to energy. And that is difficult in the sense that that makes it very hard to phase out um, incinerators because often these contracts with the uh, private companies are for decades, not seldomly like 50 uh, 50 years. So we're talking about half a century. 
Um, and this means that the mun municipality commits themselves to a certain amount of waste. If they don't deliver this certain amount of waste, there will be penalties, so there will be fines from the, from the company. And um, uh, yeah, so basically they have to pay compensation to the companies because they're not delivering so much waste. So it's a bit of like a very uh, weird... Um, it's a bit of a capitalistic trap, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you're signing a contract with a capitalist company, which obviously is there to make profit, right? It's not a charity thing. So when they want to... And, you know, if they invest so much in uh, constructing such a plant like a waste incinerator, then they want to make profit. They want to profit of that. So you got to guarantee that profit. Otherwise, they, they, they just won't do that, right? Like they wouldn't probably even take the risk of doing it themselves on the basis of a bank loan or whatever. So then you're, you're actually trapping yourself into supporting you know uh this private investor however you want to refer to that entity and uh yeah and and then we've got this swedish i don't know catch-22 situation really where you know we can recycle but we don't recycle because we actually have a contract and if we don't uh you know adhere to our end of that contract then we're going to probably and this is i'm making that up i'm not sure whether that's the case but yeah. like we're going to have to pay compensations or something right yes exactly that is exactly how it is um, and and therefore, it is important that, of course, we need to do something with our waste, you know, and waste uh, incineration in some is is an option for for the waste or like there, some waste needs to be incinerated. What cannot be in, uh, recycled? The problem is if you commit yourself to such long contracts with yeah. private companies, you can, then cannot get out of um, that. You know we have this paradox which the UN calls the lock-in effect that we lock ourselves in uh -huh. to more and more. Uh, production of waste when actually if we think back about the waste hierarchy we want to reduce waste but we can't sure. because we need to feed the plants because we've got an industry in place that is exactly. profiting from it yeah exactly so this is like one of the aspects really to bear in mind it gets however it gets more complicated if you if mm -hmm. you think about recycling as a whole like another big problem in europe is that actually we don't have enough recycling plants private or public you know, we need more, we need to have more recycling, which is happening in Europe locally. And that's, again, where we see like how the waste trade comes in, because it is uh, legal to um, export recyclable waste. So it's only illegal or legal? It's legal. So the, the EU can export waste, but not any waste because of the Basel Convention. Only waste which is recyclable can be exported, which means that a lot of Europe's waste is not recycled, uh, recyclable waste, sorry, a lot of Europe's recyclable waste is not mm -hmm. recycled in Europe, but, but somewhere else. presumably somewhere else. However, we need to question if this will actually be recycled. Because if you think about your recyclable waste at home, you know, often it is incinerated, you know, you have like, you eat your yogurt, you put your yogurt in, in, the, in the rubbish bin. And, you know, if you don't wash it, obviously it gets moldy. If then this waste is shipped across like the sea, mm -hmm. it, it used to be China. Now it's um, more uh, Turkey and Indonesia, uh, which are taking the waste because China actually closed its door to, um, to contaminated waste. In 2018, China said, China used to be the country which almost took like all of the world's waste and um, ended up in China. And China said, no more, we are not no longer taking contaminated waste. That meant that 99% of the whole recyclable waste from Europe to, to, to which was exported to China dropped. So it was a huge chaos. 
you know, Europe had to do something else with its waste. Now it's going to Poland, it's going to India, but there's also a lot of in, intra-EU trade. A lot of it, it goes to Poland, for example, often even illegally. Yeah, please, uh, if I if I may just hear, because you used words like exports and trade uh, of with, with, you know, trash, with waste, and I wonder, like... An, how does it actually work in a sense that you know you export something when you export something you normally um you normally expect or when you trade something you you're expected to gain some sort of profit from that but i suppose this works the other way around like what well, europe has to probably pay china or whatever other country to actually receive that so it's like exports and trade in reverse in a sense that you know this is how it's how it's working and you know, I'm, I'm I'm saying that, and I'm asking you to please confirm or push back against that for you know for the sake of the understanding of our our listeners and viewers. Of course, but it's much cheaper. But if you also think about like you know logistically how our world trade is set up, like a lot of it is produced in China, uh, then you know gets exported. Um, well, we import a lot of stuff from China, mm-hmm. so the same you know ships which come here then have to go back and take waste back, for example, you know? Okay. So we fill the chip of waste, you know, after it's consumed, it goes back. And But if the waste is sitting for a very long time in these ships, of course, it gets more and more contaminated, mm-hmm. which means it's less and less recyclable. So mm-hmm. while we might think actually it's recyclable waste, and even if it is by the start of, of the waste journey, the shipment, mm-hmm. by, t- by, the, by the time it gets there, it's it's so contaminated, so polluted, that it, it's no longer recyclable. It's got to get burned. Yeah, well, that's then the question, what happens there, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, from Europe's perspective, it is recyclable you know, when supposedly once it enters the ship, but what happens there? Who but knows? anyway, Europe, Europe, or whatever, like collective Europe, European Union, whatever, they, they mark it off on their in their statistics as recycled, right? Yes, of course, it's okay. recyclable waste. You know, so this is like this is still in the statistics of recyclable waste, but we don't know what happens mm-hmm. in, in in the countries where it's received. Um, and of course, it's not only the problem that it's an environmental hazard. Um, for the countries we are effectively making the dump site our dump sites um but it's also really bad for the workers because the the waste is more contaminated i mean think about it. your rubbish already stinks when you you know bring it outside of your house and if it has to be shipped you know for several weeks or even months across the globe you know you don't you don't really want to smell it when it comes out of it yeah. so um or not only smell it, deal with it. So there is the huge complicated scenario. So this is, I think, a okay, point but, but, in my mind. Mm-hmm. But since you mentioned, you know, since you mentioned uh, workers here, I, I want to, uh, I think it's a perfect segue for my n- next question. But actually, before I ask this next question, uh, can you give us just a rough proportion? Like, what is it like between municipal or whatever public ownership and the uh, and private ownership across Europe? Like in roughly in regions like West, South, North. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would like you to uh, briefly, if possible, like literally two minutes, just to explain what is the portion, what is the role maybe uh, that the so-called well, so-called informal economy plays in here? Because uh, I think it's very important for for, for Eastern European or Central. In Eastern European uh, listeners and viewers of this show, okay? Sure. So, I mean, in terms of the public-private split, it is very difficult to give you a proper um, overview, also because the data is often not clear. So what we do see is that, um, first of all, it matters what aspect of waste management are we talking about. 
uh, are we talking about waste collection? So waste collection, you know, in many countries is still outsourced to private companies. However, we also see a trend in in some countries in Europe that this prioritization is reversed. For example, in Germany and no Norway, both have um, really reversed the prioritization of waste collection, um, mainly because of costs. In Germany, it was mainly a cost thing because it's actually cheaper not to um, outsource your waste collection, but to do it yourself. Um, and um, in, in Norway, also it has to do with company failures, of like companies basically overestimating their profits um, and then going bankrupt um, and um, the, the municipalities picking up the burden. So, but there are, it's not only Norway and um in Germany, there are trends to more public ownership in waste collection. If we talk about treatments, like I already said, recycling, there is just not enough, you know, like there's not enough recycling plants, regardless of if they're private or public. With waste um, to energy, we can see that there are, that it's again, there are some which are more public and um, uh, uh, well, some countries where there's more public ownership some there's less. So in Denmark, like I already said, it's mostly public. In Sweden, it's mostly private in terms of waste to energy. In Germany, it's very mixed, you know. And also with waste to energy, we have to understand that um, not, it's very, it's, it's, the market is not like every country has waste to energy. It's very concentrated. Some uh, countries are very much leading in terms of waste to energy, so much leading that they have the problem of, like we already talked about, yeah. the overcapacity of actually not having enough waste. So we also need to be careful of like how many more waste um, to energy, energy incinerators we are building. In the UK, for example, also because of Brexit, they had a waste problem now. Um, they actually didn't have enough of their own um, waste to energy incinerators and they used to export quite a lot now they're building like crazy lots of waste to energy incinerators in order to deal with the waste you know but again huge problem so there is it's not sort of like this is just private this is just public you know yeah, it, it seems like if I, if I just may uh, and, and again correct me if, if this interpretation is wrong but it, to me it seems like it's a chaos uh, you know that is caused not so much uh, by, by the very policies that are applied here or there, but just by the kind of, you know, global, again, kind of capitalistic market globalization that is just playing itself out and, and is causing, uh, you know, so much uh, disorienta disorientation and disorder that when we look at it, we, we're, we're not even able to actually extract concrete and specific data. What is where, whether it is recycled or not. I mean, it's recycled one, uh, once it's loaded on the ship or recyclable once it's loaded on the ship, then it's unrecyclable perhaps. We don't even know to what extent. Once it's loaded off, we're not sure even where is it loaded off. One of the countries that receives a lot of Europe's waste, you mentioned that in uh, at the beginning of the program is Poland. We don't even know, like, uh, you know, how much of this is being burned, how much of this is being actually recycled. Now, I got to tell you, I've lived in Poland for 25 years, and Poland is not a place where you recycle much, okay? Mm. And I, I speak from experience. I mean, I, I know something about it. I, I make my own observations here. So, you know, it, it all seems to be really, really uh, kind of, um, you know, in the dark area, like we, we in the gray area, we don't know that. But I, I believe that the grayest area or the darkest area of this gray or dark area already is what is referred to the informal economy. So if you could please speak a little bit about that, because I think it's really it's, it's really interesting to hear about this particular segment here. Sure. Just before I come to the circular mm -hmm. economy, another thing about public ownership. Um, uh, sorry, Not private... circular, informal, I meant. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before I come to in the informal economy, just to say, if we think about waste companies in Europe, um, it is very clear that there are leading companies like making a lot of money. You know, so there, I think in total they're like over like. 4,000 um, waste companies, mm-hmm. uh, public and private. And the data is not collected uh, on exactly how much is private and what is public. However, out of those, uh, nine, over, I think of 99, like way over 90, I think, yeah, maybe it was 97. Let's say over 90% of these uh, companies are micro or um, uh, companies or, um, or small and medium-sized enterprises. And then they're only like, 60 left who uh, which are actually you know of a relative big size and then you go down 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 and basically in the end you have five big companies out of which one is really dominating and that's um or two and which is Veolia and Suisse which are now basically merging anyway so you have a huge concentration out of the other companies which are um uh, which are operating in Europe um like all the big companies, we can see that there's also regional distribution. There's one, uh, Remondi is really dominating um, in um, in uh, Germany, um, and then there's, there's um, FCC, and they're dominating in Spain. So we have like very much a concentration of kids. This is a, a difficult, um, but it becomes problematic, and we can see this in the in the UK um, uh, very well. Is when um, one company, Violia, for example, um, is operating waste collection as well as the treatment of waste to energy incineration. Because this can incentivize, I'm not saying that it always happens, but there is an incentivization for them if the company, which is also collecting the waste, mm-hmm. but also needs the waste for its waste incineration, that more recyclable waste will be fed into the incinerator, which needs to be fed, mm-hmm. instead of recycling. So if we see, you know, a concentration of waste collection and waste energy yeah. going in hand, it's not necessarily that good. On the other hand, what we see is um, it's why public ownership really, really matters. Is It's not even if it's in one company, but the problem is if we have different treatment um, aspects of waste, competing with each other, specifically recycling and waste to energy. Because we want recycling, well, we want recyclable waste to be recycled and not burned, you see, mm. of course. However, um, if there's a competition between these companies, you know, it's it's a barrier in, in that sense because it's almost like a scramble over the waste. Everybody wants the waste because they, they want the waste for their business in order to make their profit out of it. So the most important thing is that that we have a holistic waste management system in public ownership, which is based on the waste hierarchy. So from the top, you can't make money. We already discussed this. You can't make money with waste preventions. But, you know, it needs to, therefore, it needs to be public, you know, actually educating about waste, um, facilitating um, uh, um, sh- the sharing economy, facilitating um, uh, reuse, you know, reuse is very labor intensive and not a lot of profit you can make with repair work. Um, all of this needs to be encouraged. 
However, what we see in Slovenia, and I really want to highlight this example because it's a fantastic example. Slovenia was one of the countries a few years ago which landfilled the most, you know, really low recycling ra uh, rates, very bad, you know. But in the last few years, they and, really. And ju just for the sake of clarity, landfilling means that the waste is not burned by actually uh, like put under, like in the soil, right? Yeah, buried. Yeah, buried, it's, just, yeah. it's like really environmentally damaging. It's really bad for the groundwater. So Slovenia had a lot of landfilling, very little recycling, turned around massively. So they now have uh, very high recycling waste uh, rates. Uh, they have a very good waste prevention mechanism. Very good. Like you, um, you, you can have. Um, Apparently, you cannot fill up like your oil or like some machines just like in, in the middle of the city. Like, I mean, there's like less packaging, you know, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's really, really um, good. But the way they did it is through one very enhanced treatment plant. Um, and this plant um, can recycle. It can incinerate waste to energy incineration. And there's also a little bit of landfilling. But what this, this means, because it's all in public ownership and everything, um, and they have a very good collection ra rate. And it's not meant for profit, I guess. No, it's not for profit. And what we also, is important, of course, it's important also in terms of waste collection, what is happening. Because if you want to make a lot of profit out of it, then you, you collect the waste less often, of course. Because, you know, you, you want to get away with it and you don't want to drive so often and do the same route so many times so you do it less often but actually we because we in order for the waste to be recyclable uh, we need it to be less contaminated so actually it's key that there's a good advanced collection system so that your waste is recyclable so we need a good collection system in order to to recycle which Slovenia has then a recycling system of what actually to recycle what is recyclable and then burn what is not recyclable and landfilling you will end up with a little bit of landfilling because also remember you have to still bury the ashes of the stuff which cannot be burned in the incinerators so they have a treatment plant which where everything is going hand in hand with each other and not competing against each other for profit. And that's very key. And this is how, how Slovenia has such a good model. And it is possible because of public ownership and actually also with some money um, was helped by the European, uh, um, well, by Europe, by the EU to build this. So I really want to flag this up that this is a, a, an example where we can see that we can do waste management differently uh -huh. through public ownership. Okay. But anyway, you want to talk about the informal economy. Shall yes, we very briefly, please, because I, I, we want to move over to also the social issues and workers' rights issues. Okay. So, I mean, it has a lot to do um, with, um, with workers' rights, actually. So, the informal economy, it is very important to remember that often people think about the informal economy and informal waste workers that don't think about Europe. However, our recycling system, our circular economy depends on the informal economy. Um, because it's informal, there's not much data around, you know, very few academic studies. And um, the last sophisticated one was from 2016, but it's it estimated that at least there are a million um, informal recycle workers um, in Europe, which is around uh, the same as the, in the formal recycling economy. So just to give you a proportion, of course, it's only estimates, but you know, it's roughly the same. 
then um, we can see uh, that some of the EU's um, recycling policies um, very much facilitated a growth of the informal economy. It's it's never really acknowledged. We, it's almost sort of pretended that it's it doesn't exist. But I give you one example. So one um, scheme uh, many European countries adopted now because it's uh, so successful is the deposit refund schemes of packaging um, waste. So basically bottles, um, plastic yeah. bottles, other bottles. Um, and and, I, and can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't restrain myself from saying that something that we've had in place before 1989 in Bulgaria, for example, where I come from, and, you know, yes. I mean, kids would, you know, go around like the whole, you know, collect bottles and packagings and other stuff from neighbors to just go to the, you know, corner store and, I don't know, get themselves a lemonade or an ice cream for whatever the amount of pennies they would get from, from, from that kind of stuff. Exactly. And now we have to to like sort of rebuild that because it it has been yes. like the whole system was devastated like over the last 30 years right yeah and anyway a, sorry that i digress but i just <laughs> i no, just it's, it's thought it's an important, important. Uh, observation from eastern europe right yeah definitely very important inf uh, information and um, or observation um yeah exactly that's what it is you know you it basically it's an, an incentivization like there's an incentive to bring your bottles back to the supermarket or you know the where wherever it's collected um, after you're done with drinking whatever was in your bottle. Um, and, it, you know, it, it worked back then in, in Bulgaria and it's working now. So these countries who are uh, have adapted these schemes have like um, a 90%, on average it's a 90% collection rate, which is really high and, and amazing. However, of course, you have to think about like, well, who is that who was then bringing back these bottles? Right. You know? And you said, well, you, you as a kid, yeah, still there are some children doing it. Unfortunately, uh, mostly what we see is that disadvantaged groups in society are doing it. Like the Roma and Sinti as mm -hmm. ethnicities um, do a lot of this uh, work. Migrants and refugees, old, um, like the, the aging poor, like um, people who cannot live with their pensions. Um, we, you know, homeless people. These are the people bringing back um, the bottles. Right. And in that sense, like these are informal recycling workers, you know, uh, bringing that back. But it's not only in these countries through these former schemes. We see it also everywhere. Like people, you know, go going through waste and see what still can be reused, essentially doing the circular economy work, you know, mm -hmm. of extracting what can, can still be used, sometimes with very complicated supply chains, international supply chains um, of, of these informal um, waste routes or reuse uh, routes. However, in the EU policies, they are not regarded at all, like completely sidelined. And I, I, that's very problematic, especially if we even create policies which basically depend on them. Mm -hmm. um, so much more needs to be done because, I mean, I don't need to explain to you that, you know, going through bins and trying to get uh, what is still recyclable um, yeah. Is, is very dangerous work, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, of course, I mean, and, and, you know, we're talking about them in this, in, in this context as, I mean, you referred to them as informal, uh, how did you say that waste collecting workers, uh, that are in the informal economy, well, they don't even have a status of a worker. I mean, no one is a, even employs them in a sense that, you know, they are just like people who randomly collect something because they are super poor. Right. And, uh, you know, and this is, this is like a whole new quality. I mean, 
compared to you know the, the story that I told you about the children in uh, Bulgaria before 1989. I mean, we were doing it for fun, right? Whereas those people are doing it because they need to survive. And this, yeah. of course, applies to all disadvantaged groups. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you said it, like migrants, homeless people, Roma people, you know, and so on and so forth. Like the list is, uh, I'm sure, long, like all across Europe. But, but uh, you know, this is, this is something that not much people are talking about. And I wonder uh, if you could uh, exactly elaborate on this. I mean, what are the conditions? How did austerity uh, or let's say, well, maybe not austerity specifically, but let's just say the the, the overarching the overarching systematic the overarching uh, policy okay across Europe in the European Union uh, contribute to that problem or maybe prevented something from everything you're saying it seems like it rather contributed more than prevented it. I'm talking about this specific thing like workers who are you know uh, in this disadvantaged position not necessarily only in the informal economy but in general like across the spectrum of this industry like what is the situation there and is it deteriorating is it getting better is is there anything that you could tell us about it that is in, important from the point of view of people who are interested not just in the public sphere but mm-hmm. in the unions because you know after all we're an EPSU mm-hmm. podcast and so in the unions uh, role in the public sphere sure i think there's a lot of important work to be done um, when it comes comes to workers rights no matter where in in the race race management system and it really depends which aspect are we talking about um i would say it, it's very um well i mean one thing i already mentioned several times but I, well one thing which i think is important to highlight first of all is that we are talking when we're talking about um, the circular economy. The European Union likes to highlight its its job creation potential. So you find a lot of studies, usually based on economic modeling, um, which are praising that oh, it's so good because you know it will create a lot of jobs. And then supposedly all the unions are also supposed to say yeah, that's good. We want more job creation, you know. But of course we have to ask what type of jobs and are they really created because all of these studies um, have a very um, they're based on the same principle and that is the the assumption that repair and recycling is more labor intense than burning waste or dumping it of course this is true you know however if we look at the recycling industry, we already discussed that actually a lot of other recycling is not happening in Europe, but it's actually happening abroad. And we are ex- at the moment exporting a lot. Europe is building more recycling plants, and that is good. That should also be encouraged. In these recycling plants, especially composting plants, but well, it's, you know, it's not very nice work. <laughs> you know? You know, it's 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 a very intensive. Often, again, there are very few studies, of such such lack of, of data out there on working conditions in recycling plants. We really need to know more on what is actually going on. We, the few pilot studies which exist give you the expected picture that's uh, again um, exploiting vulnerabilities so lots of uh, migrant labors um you know long hours very it's very labor intensive so it's very hard very little wages you know if health and safety standards are actually you know kept it's like another matter um you know it's it's really dangerous dealing with Mm -hmm. waste 
However, then we, on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, now that there are more and more recyclable plants, and we have two different types of recycled plants. We have the ones where the waste is actually recycled, so uh, you know, you basically ready for for reuse, and the sorting. So the cleaning and the sorting of the different elements of the recyclable waste. Well, both of them, we see more um, automation. Um, so then again, we have to question the thing. Well, if, if most of the recycling plants which are built are anyway automated, is there really so much job creation as a, a, the European Union likes to highlight? Question mark. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's look at the other big aspect of the circular economy, repair work. So when we look at repair work, we already discussed that a lot of re repair work is um, happening in the informal economy anyway, so it's very hard to estimate how much is going on there. It's also often very dangerous. I mean, for example, you know, I mean, it's, you know, if you are dealing, I mean, for example, electronic devices and you're trying to, uh, um, uh, to repair them, it's not necessarily, you know, there are lots of hazardous aspects of this type of labor. Um, then what we also see, um, and this is there are some recent studies, at least, again, there's a lack of studies around it, but there are some studies which show that a lot of um, work, you know, I'm saying work. Yeah, <laughs> inverted it, commas, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in inverted commas work um, is unpaid. So is it that work? You know, but basically it's unpaid labor in repair shops, sometimes through charities, like even mm -hmm. either repair or, um, for example, charity shops where like lots of unemployed uh, workers um, uh, work for no money, um, you know, and it's sort of social schemes or it's it's branded as some social schemes. But actually what we're talking about is unpaid work, which is feeding the circular economy. And that's important to bear, bear in mind uh, if we talk about the job creation potential. Yeah. What, of course, we really want is um, more, more localized recycling and good jobs, you know, in these yeah. plants. Like, no one wants, like, uh, waste, you know, to be dealt with, um, in a way, this is unsafe for humans. Sure, sure. Okay, so this is, uh, well, I think you said it, but perhaps it requires a sort of stressing on it again. Uh, there's a lot of work ahead of us. That is a lot of work ahead of unions, too, mm. in this respect. Uh, and, uh, you know, since, uh, since we mentioned uh, this already, you're an author of two reports uh, mm. on that matter for EPSU. Uh, and I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your work. I mean, this is a major research uh, effort, those two reports. Uh, if you could just, you know, briefly tell us what are they about uh, and, and uh, you know, what, what are the main mm, uh, kind of tips <laughs> that you suggest for, uh, well, for, for advancing uh, the workers' rights, work, working conditions, uh, better payment and you know the entire uh, spectrum of what unions and in that, uh, including of course EPSU stand for. Sure. So yes, uh, I did two. I wrote two reports for um, two studies for EPSU, um, both on waste management and the circular economy. I'm currently writing a third one, um, so which should be out I think in June. Um, so in the, those um, studies, um, we looked at first, generally, like the first one is uh, called Good Jobs in the Circular Economy, really looking at this myth of that there is so much um, uh, work which will be created through the circular economy and we're looking at what types of jobs are we really talking about and where. 
Um, and the second one focuses um, on um, health and safety in the circular economy, so a bit, bit wider than that, and really looking at the working conditions. And um, and the current one will be a mixture of the two, updating um, the data and giving like an overview also what, uh, in terms of what's happening in terms of public versus private ownership. I'm also part of a project uh, with EU OSHA at the moment of looking at health and safety in the circular economy, where um, we are doing more pilot studies around that. And basically, I can say there is not enough data on it, really not en en enough data. And but um, because we don't, maybe because we have this research gap, but also much more than that is that the policies at the moment on the circular economy are not taking the workers voices seriously they actually don't regard workers at all like in if you look at policy document after policy uh, document in 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 the eu on waste management like workers are seldomly mentioned and of course we have to think about like well uh, the circular economy is not operating itself it is operated by people mm. and these people need to be taken seriously if we really want to improve our waste management system we need to do it with the workers in mind and you know with respect for their health and safety and 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 well-being um so that's really key that we do more there and of course then it's important that we're not only thinking about the workers in Europe, in the formal economy. But when we think about waste and who's dealing with this waste, that we think about it globally, thinking about who's dealing with our exported so-called recyclable waste. And also, you know, within Europe, we need to pay more attention to the informal economy and as well as to the illegal waste trade which is going on especially since china closed its doors to our most of our recyclable waste we see much more more illegal waste uh, systems um and evolving in europe often you know from the west to eastern europe a lot of germany's waste for example ends up in poland where it's illegally burned so basically fires create on dump sites so you know and and uh, there is in industry um, profiting from these illegal trades. And, and all of this needs to be, um, yeah, we need to think about when we think about waste management. And, you know, this research is doing a tiny contribution, but much more research actually really needs to be done. Okay, well, uh, on that note, I would like to end this interview. I want to thank you, Vera, for all the insightful uh, comments here. I want to thank you also for the information that you shared with us, with our uh, listeners and viewers. And let us hope, of course, uh, for the best. That is, uh, that uh, the waste management industry is going to be brought under some kind of control. Uh, and I think it's 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 particularly important uh, for uh, for the European Union institutions to actually do something because again I mean you know as a person that uh, come that is Eastern European okay I mean this is something that we all want to see I mean we we, we don't want to be in the European Union to burn illegally your you know the Western waste like we're not this is not why we joined the European Union I suppose so I think that uh, it's it's also uh, an aspect of the whole uh, situation that must be considered. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, everything you said about how the recycling mechanisms work, all this is very uh, interesting, well, saddening, but interesting in a, in a sense that 
you know, most people aren't really aware uh, of all those nuances that you presented, particularly in the beginning of the of the program where we spoke about how Germany is doing uh, allegedly great with you know waste management, but then in in or recycling, but then in fact when you look at when you scratch uh, the surface a little bit, it turns out that it's not so fantastic really as it is being presented. And again, there's so much work to be done. So fingers crossed for uh, the activists uh, and for the labor unions to. Uh, uh, you know, to 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 press on and to improve uh, the whole situation. Once again, thank you, Vera. Thank you to all people, uh, to all of you out there who are listening and watching this program. We will see you in the next edition of the EPSU podcast. I was, I am Boyan Stanislavski. See you next time. Stay healthy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.